Our scripture reading today comes from Daniel chapter 9. You'll find that in your worship guides on page 13. Um, I invite you to stand as this is the reading of God's word and also remind you that while the grass withers and the flower fades, the word of our God endures forever. So Daniel chapter 9, starting in verse 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of the years according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolation of Jerusalem, namely seventy years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have Um, Not listen to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us, open shame. As at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, in all the lands to which you have driven them, because of the treachery that they have committed against you, To us, O Lord, belongs open shame, and to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice, and the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. And he has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven, there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in all the works he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself as at this day we have sinned we have done wickedly O lord according to your all your righteous acts let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city your holy hill because of our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us now therefore our god Listen to the prayer of your servants and to the pleas for mercy, and for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear, open your eyes and see our desolation in the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Do not delay. 
for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. While I was still speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sins of my people Israel and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O Daniel, I have come now out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, but to put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit and to anoint a most holy place. Know, therefore, and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks." Then for sixty-two weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the sixty-two weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed, and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, and for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Seth. Well, last week, Colin preached an excellent sermon on Daniel chapter 8, Daniel's vision of the ram and the goat. And we saw, we heard that Daniel 8 is a challenging passage with a somber message. Persecution is to be expected for the people of God. A message with hope, though, as well, that persecution is limited. Chapter 9, we come to this morning. This is about 11 years later. And here, Daniel receives another message from God. And people who study the Bible for a living have all different kinds of ideas about what Daniel chapter 9 means. It, it might be uh, a little bit of an exaggeration, but maybe not too much, that this message of 70 weeks has about 70 different interpretations to it. I'm not going to add one to that this morning. Even though chapter 9 is one literary unit, and it has been our practice as we preach through Daniel, to take one unit at a time and give it one sermon. I don't know what I'm going to do with chapters 10 through 12 yet. That's one unit. So you can be praying for me as I think about that. But I'm not going to take chapter 9 in one unit as the practice has been. Today I actually want to focus on this wonderful prayer of Daniel. And then next week, Lord willing, we'll look at the chapter again. And we'll focus on God's answer to Daniel's prayer and those 70 weeks. But one thing Daniel does in chapter 9 is he gives us insight into how to pray as a Christian living in a world of sin and suffering. And as Daniel gives us this important insight, he also once again points us to Jesus, as he's been doing all throughout this book. This chapter really is all about Yahweh, the great I Am. 
the eternal self-existent one, the God who has made a covenant with his people, he has bound himself to us. He is committed to his own character, to his own name. He's committed to his word, to his promise, to his covenant, and he is committed to us, his people. This evening, we have the privilege of administering the sacrament of baptism. And as we do that, we ask those being baptized and we encourage those who are witnessing it to remember your baptism. And one of the things we mean by that is to remember whose you are. Remember who you belong to. We belong to the Lord. He has bound himself to us and thus we are bound to him. We're bound to our great God. And in all the circumstances of life, We, the people of God, have the amazing privilege of crying out to Yahweh in prayer, and he hears us. He takes heed to what we say. So as we consider this wonderful prayer of Daniel, we will see what spurs him on to pray. We will see a scripture-saturated prayer, and then we will see a Savior better than Daniel. So first... It was the scriptures themselves that led Daniel to pray. Verse 2, hear the word of God again. In the first year of Darius's reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord by Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer, and pleased for mercy with fasting and sackcloth, and ashes. Daniel was reading the scriptures. He's in his 80s now. He has been in exile for almost 70 years. And as he suffers in exile, what does he do? He reads God's word, which means either he had a copy of the scrolls with him, or he knew them so well from his youth, he had memorized them that he could read them in his mind anywhere at any time. But what does he do? He reads the scriptures. He meditates on the scriptures. We already know that Daniel prays three times a day. Now we also see Daniel reading God's word. We've said before that the book of Daniel is about faithfulness in exile. God's faithfulness to his people, first and foremost. It's about what God does to save and preserve his people. But it also shows us the faithfulness of his people to himself in response, the faithfulness of Daniel and his three friends. And yes, we know they were only able to be faithful as God enabled them. We give all praise and glory to God. It was indeed his work. But we also see that they engaged in these daily habits that put them on the path of faithfulness. So Daniel is an example for us of someone who lived by faith, an example of how a Christian lives in this world, and he did what Christians do. He read the Bible, and he prayed. Why? Not to earn God's favor, not to complete a plan, Not to check it off his to-do list. Not because that's what good Christians do. Why did he read the Bible? I think he read it because he had to. Now by that, I don't mean he had to in the sense of it was something he didn't want to do and somebody was making him do it. Maybe we think of chores we have to do. What I mean is this. He had to in the sense he could not live without it. He was desperate for God. He was dependent upon 
God. And he was seeking God. He was reading the Bible and it led him to pray. Well, what was he reading? I'm glad you asked. We don't have to guess, do we? He tells us. He was reading the word of the Lord to the prophet Jeremiah. So you can read through the book of Jeremiah and you can see certain points where this must be what Daniel was reading at the time. One of those is in chapter 25. So Jeremiah chapter 25 verse 8 says this. Therefore thus says the Lord of hosts. Because you have not obeyed my words. Behold I will send for all the tribes of the north declares the Lord. And for Nebuchadnezzar the king of Babylon my servant. And I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants. And against all these surrounding nations. I will devote them to destruction and make them a horror. A hissing and an everlasting desolation. Moreover, I will banish from them the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the grinding of the millstones and the light of the lamp. This whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then after the 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity declares the Lord. Daniel's reading this word. And Daniel can do the math. He realizes it, that it has been almost 70 years since he was taken away into exile. He sees what is happening. The king, the nation of Babylon have fallen. Now Darius the Mede reigns in their place. Daniel can see the scriptures coming true. And it was these scriptures that lead him to pray. He knows they are true. They are reliable. They reveal the truth about things yet to come. They help guide us and how to live in troubled times. They help us understand the times in which we live and they guide Daniel's prayer. And they can guide our prayers today. So it was the scriptures that led Daniel to pray. Second, we see a scripture-saturated prayer. The scriptures not only led Daniel to pray, but he prayed the scriptures. He invented that 3R pattern that we've shared with you before. Rejoice, repent, request. The three R's. Or perhaps some of you are familiar with the ACTS acronym. You take the word ACTS, A for adoration, C for confession, T for thanksgiving, S for supplication. It's a way to give structure to our prayers. It can be an aid to our prayers when we don't know what to pray. Both of those have helped me tremendously in my own prayer life. But the three R's we'll look at today as we look through Daniel's prayer. Rejoice, repent, request. This is what Daniel does. He begins with rejoicing, with adoration, praising God for who he is. Verse 4, I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. So Daniel begins his prayer by praising his covenant-keeping God. And he uses language that is taken straight from the scriptures. He's praying God's word. You can see these phrases multiple places in the Old Testament. One of them is in Exodus 20, where God gives the Ten Commandments. He gives the law, and he says, You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. 
It's exactly what Daniel prays. Daniel rejoices in this great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with his people. To rejoice, to adore God for who he is, it's a great way to begin our prayers. Why? Well, for one, it's a repeated command. It's something that God tells us to do for his glory and for our good. You find it throughout the scriptures, especially in the Psalms. Again, I invite you to join us this evening at 6 p.m. at Florin. Colin will be concluding his series through the last five psalms with Psalm 150. And you'll hear that repeated command. Praise the Lord. Adore, rejoice in our God. So it's a command. We do it to obey God. It glorifies God when we rejoice in his name, when we adore him. But also, to begin our prayers with rejoicing it helps us remember who we are praying to, who we are talking to. We're not praying or talking to an ordinary person, someone totally other than us. There's a hint to this before Daniel even begins to pray. In verse 4, he says, I prayed to the Lord my God. Now, many of you maybe noticed this or already know this, but that word Lord in our worship guide, and in, I would think most, if not all of your Bibles, is printed with all capital letters. And when you are reading the Old Testament and you see the, the word Lord in all capital letters like that, it's referring to the name by which God revealed himself to Moses. The great I am, Yahweh, our covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. That name for God, Lord, in all caps, is Yahweh, and it's used only here in the book of Daniel in chapter 9. It's not used in, in any other chapter in Daniel, but it's used eight times in this chapter. That's saying something to us about what this chapter is about. Daniel uses it twice before he prays. He uses it once after he prays, and then within his prayer, five times, he's exalting the name of the Lord. He rejoices in the Lord, in Yahweh, the great I am, the God who reigns over all, who loves his people, who has bound himself to his people. To rejoice in the Lord as we pray is to meditate on who God is. And as we do that, not only do we worship God, not only is God glorified, but our own faith is strengthened. As we remember who God is, as we know his name, we put our trust in him. So beloved, when you pray, begin by remembering who you are praying to. And let the scriptures guide you to rejoice in your God, to praise him for who he is. Rejoice, and then the second R, repent. Repent. The majority of this prayer is one of repentance. And repentance is what God calls us to do in response to our sin. Well, what is sin? I shared with you before the, the children's VBS definition. Sin is anything that we think or say or do that does not please God. And it all starts right here in our hearts. It's a good way to think about what sin is. The Bible says that our sin separates us from God, that it brings death, and that our sin cannot be removed 
by any of the good works that we may do. Our only hope for forgiveness and life is that our God is a God who's made a covenant with his people. Our God took the initiative to reach out to us when we were dead in our sin. He loved us enough to send his own son, Jesus, to die on the cross to pay for our sins so that now everyone who repents and trusts in Jesus will have new life, will have eternal life, will be forgiven, will be restored to and enjoy communion with God. We will know God and be loved by God and we will love him in return. Repentance is essential to the Christian life and not just once at the beginning, but all throughout the life of a believer. The majority of this prayer is one of repentance. Why? Is it because we have seen evidence of Daniel's great sin all throughout the book? No, we haven't, have we? In fact, if it wasn't for this prayer, you might be tempted to think that Daniel hadn't sinned. It doesn't tell us of all his sin. What does it tell us? It tells us of his faithfulness to his faithful God. But here, what does he do? He identifies with the sin of his people. What we have here is a corporate prayer of confession. Remember, the whole reason that God's people were in, exi- they were in exile was because of their disobedience. It was because of their sin. They had failed to keep the covenant. They had failed to honor and obey their God. And the reason that this prayer was one mainly of repentance was because Daniel was reading the scriptures. And the scriptures led him to pray and they led him to repent. Remember, Jeremiah So if you read further along in Jeremiah, you'll come to chapter 29. Now, if you've grown up in the church, you've probably heard this passage before. This past week was the National Day of Prayer. If you participated in any of those events events associated with that, you may have heard this passage read or prayed. But this this passage in Jeremiah 29 is not a promise for America. It's a promise for God's people, Israel. And listen to what it says. For thus says the Lord, When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come to me and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. That's exactly what Daniel is doing. He's read the scripture. He has found hope in the scriptures and in his covenant keeping God and it drives him to prayer. Verse three, then I turned my face to the Lord God seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Daniel was seeking the Lord and he was confessing his sin and the sin of God's covenant people. Why? Because their return from exile was not automatic. There was a condition that had to be met first, which Daniel read in Leviticus 26. The scriptures guide him. He reads these words, but if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers in their treachery that they committed against me and also in walking contrary to me so that I walked contrary to them and brought them into the land of their enemies, if then their uncircumcised heart is humbled and they make amends for their iniquity, Then I will remember my covenant with Jacob and I will remember my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham and I will remember 
the land. Daniel has read that promise, that hope, and he obeys the word of God. Daniel was repenting, confessing his sin because the scriptures instructed him to do so. And as he did, the scriptures gave the promise, the hope that God would forgive. He would remember his covenant. He would restore and rescue his people. Beloved, did you see the importance of the scriptures? Do you see what, it is, what a gift it is to have the word of God? God's word is true. It is a reliable guide for our lives. It reveals to us our covenant-keeping God and the way of salvation. So we repent of our sin because the scriptures lead us to repent. We see the holy God and our need for him, but we also repent of our sin because we see the wickedness of our sin. And you get a sense of that in this prayer of Daniel with all the words that he uses, all the descriptions he gives for sin. Verse 5, he says, we have sinned and done wrong, and acted wickedly, and rebelled. Verse 7, to all Israel belongs open shame because of the treachery. It's that same word from Leviticus 26, that treachery they've committed against the Lord. Beloved, sin is no little thing. We ought not to make light of it. One description of sin that stands out in this prayer is disobedience to God's commands. The opposite of what God's people are to do. That concept is mentioned at least eight times in his prayer. In verse 5 and 11, he says, turning aside from your commandments and laws. Verse 6, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets. Verse 10 and 14, we have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God. Verse 11, all Israel has transgressed your law, refusing to obey your voice. To refuse to obey God's commands. Or to defiantly break God's commands. To cross his good and loving and wise and protective and holy boundaries is deadly. And God's people are living in the shadow of that death. There's a story I've heard that has helped me sense the seriousness of this. During the Vietnam War, an artillery crew was stationed with a group of special forces soldiers in one area of the jungle. And for nearly four months, that crew learned the life-saving nature of protective boundaries as two eight-foot barbed wire fences kept the enemy out and kept them safe. And then beyond those fences there was an area of about 100 yards that was cleared of all the vegetation all the trees all the grass and buried landmines were hidden in that open area to provide further protection for those within the compound but there were unmarked trails through that open area that the green berets would follow from memory as they would go in and out on their various missions and patrols and the artillery crew would watch and since they hadn't really faced any danger in those four months? The fruit outside the fence on the edge of the jungle looked more and more enticing day after day after day. Much more tempting than the meals ready to eat that they had. And so finally one of the men asked, why can't we go outside the fence? The berets do it all the time. 
And he justified his desire. He convinced himself it would be safe. I've memorized the path that they've taken. I can do it too. And so he transgressed the boundary. He went outside the fence. And the rest of the crew watched as he headed out toward the fresh fruit. And he had nearly reached the end of the forest when they saw him stop suddenly and turn and run back. In a moment, they heard the sickening sound of machine gun fire. And they never made it back. And the peace they had enjoyed was disrupted as a battle began. And many lives were lost. And many soldiers were wounded that day. As the Vietnamese soldiers followed the very path they had watched that man take. As the leader of that artillery crew tells that story, he closes it with these words. He says, you want to know why I don't fight God when it comes to areas in his word that he tells me to avoid? It's because I've seen what it's like to walk outside the fences of protection. And I don't want any part of that. It's a powerful picture We have a powerful picture all throughout Daniel. 70 years of exile because they had disobeyed their God. Beloved friend, I ask you, are you walking outside the fence today? Are you transgressing the commands of the holy God, the God who made you, the God who loves you, the God who gave himself for you? His commands are wise and good and loving. He knows what is best for you. He wants what is best for you. He knows that sin brings death and destruction. And beloved, it demands repentance, a turning from death to life, from the worship of idols to the worship of the true and living God. God has made his way of peace and life known to us. He has sent his own son, Jesus, to pay for our transgressions, to bring us safely back into the fold. So I would urge you to do what Daniel did, to repent of your sin, to cry out to God for mercy. He will hear. He will forgive. God's people were suffering the consequences of walking outside the fence. They deserved the punishment that they brought upon themselves. But now Daniel is confessing their sin. He is crying out to God for mercy. And that leads us to that third and final R, request. Look again at verse 17. Daniel continues his prayer. Now therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy and for your own sake, O Lord. Make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. Daniel makes this request for the glory of God. He prays for your own sake, O Lord, because Jerusalem is the city of God. The Israelites are the people called by his name. It's for the honor and the glory of God that he prays. It's the honor and the glory of God that is at stake. And so Daniel makes this request. 
And he makes this request not because of the righteousness of the people, because of his own righteousness. He's already confessed their great sin. He's already acknowledged their shame. But now he pleads the mercy of God. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. And Daniel has great hope, beloved. Why? We sang it. Because though our sins are many, his mercy is more. Amen? The mercy of our covenant-keeping God is greater than our sin. Richard Sibb said, there is more mercy in Christ than sin in us. Remember that. Let that lead you to pray. That will encourage you, beloved, because you will know that when you confess your sin, when you cross that boundary and you transgress the commands of the Lord, there's hope that you can be rescued, that you can be brought back into the fold and into the path of obedience. There's hope that when you cry out in mercy, the Lord will hear, the Lord will forgive, the Lord will pay attention, the Lord will act. He did for God's people Israel. He's done it for so many of us today. He'll continue to do it over and over again. Why? Not because of our righteousness, but because of his unending mercy. This is a wonderful prayer from Daniel. The scriptures led him to pray. He prayed the scriptures, and in the end, we see a savior better than Daniel. He points us to Jesus once again, to our true greater high priest to come. You know, in this passage, although we have no record of Daniel's sin, he identifies with his people and their sin. And he confesses it as his own. And in this way, he points us to a greater high priest to come, to Jesus, the one who makes intercession on behalf of his people, who truly, Jesus truly has no sin of his own to ever confess. He was sinless, spotless, undefiled. He always did what pleased his father. Never once did he transgress the law of the Lord. He loved the law of the Lord. It was his delight to obey the law of the Lord. He was perfect in his obedience, and yet what did he do? He bore the guilt of all our sin, of all the sin of all his people in his own body on the cross. He offered himself up in our place as a sacrifice for our sin to satisfy divine justice, to meet the demands of the covenant, to bring us back to God. Daniel points us to our great Savior, Jesus. And yet there's a huge difference. For Daniel himself was a sinner. He was in exile. He was in need of rescue, of deliverance. Jesus never sinned. He was in glory with his Father, but he humbled himself. And he was sent to save and deliver his sinful people. This is indeed a wonderful prayer from Daniel. We can learn a lot from it. Next week, Lord willing, we'll look in more detail at God's answer to this prayer. But let me give you just a brief preview. Whet your appetite a little bit. One pastor titled his sermon on this passage, The Prayer That Brought Jesus. The prayer that brought Jesus. Well, think about that. For how could Yahweh, how could a holy God answer this prayer in mercy? 
the only way that this prayer can be answered in mercy is if God would send his son, Jesus. There is no other way. Here, he sends a messenger. He sends his angel, Gabriel, to give Daniel the answer. But later, he would send his son to bring his people salvation. What did Gabriel say to Daniel, verse 23? At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out. What would it be like to be the angels and just see the messages that God sends to his people? To see his wonderful plan of salvation. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you. For you are greatly loved. Oh, beloved, I pray that you know and believe and feel in the depths of your heart and your soul that that is your great and awesome covenant-keeping God's answer to your pleas for mercy today. You cry out, God, I am a sinner. To me belongs open shame. I cannot come to you because of my righteousness, but because of your mercy. And he cries out in response in the sending of his son, Beloved, you are greatly loved. You are a precious treasure. You are highly esteemed. I said earlier, Daniel had to read the Bible. He had to pray. He could not live without it. And in a similar way, our Savior Jesus, he has to love his people. He has to deliver and protect and be merciful to his people Not as something he doesn't want to do, but has to do, but because he delights in it. Because he can do no other, because he is bound to us by the covenant the triune God has made. He does it for the sake of his name. He does it because he is a great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with us. Those he has had mercy on, those he has made new, those who love him. And keep his commandments. Beloved there is no better savior. There is no better friend than Jesus. The answer to Daniel's prayer. Amen.